1: And Kayla and we are directionally challenged. Yep. We thought we would have it all figured out by the time we're in our 30s. But surprise, we don't. No, we
2: don't. (laughs) (laughs) We definitely don't. Um, But that's okay. It's okay. (laughs) <laughs> it's totally fine. Um, I'm glad we've well, got a nice breezy subject that we're talking about today. Oh, religion. Yeah. You mm-hmm. know, we're just just such <laughs> so comfortable talking. It's funny. When we started this podcast, I remember the teaser that we made and we were like, we're like, yeah, we're gonna talk about like things like sex. And 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 then we like have been terrified to talk about sex every time that it's come up. <laughs> and then this is
1: actually our first episode about religion. I know. I was going to say, I think religion falls in that same category um, as just, you know, it's one of those topics that people feel so strongly about that it's easy to just kind of skip over and talk about something that's, you know, not so uh, confrontational at times. But I love our conversation that we have today. And I think that um, it's important to have. And Candace, I've realized I hadn't really had that conversation with you either. I learned a lot about Mel's family and religion as well, as we were discussing this before. It feels like there's just... Um, a lot of people don't talk about religion that much.
2: No, I don't know. And it's also, I think depending on what your friend group is. I mean, I know I, we have, I have like some, you know, social friends that I know go to church and, um, but you know, we don't go to church in our family. I grew up going to church, Joe grew up going to church, but we don't take our family to church every week. And before we jumped on the mic, it was interesting knowing that we were going to talk about religion today. We all talked about how we grew up and, you know, Kayla, you were saying as well that currently you guys don't uh, no, go to church yeah. every Sunday. Yeah.
1: And you're right, Candace. We we don't go to church um, right now. I did grow up in the church and have had an interesting relationship with religion and really quite loved going and kind of realized, like, why don't we go to church yeah. anymore? Why has life changed? And um do you feel like yeah. it's missing a little bit sometimes? Always. Yeah, I feel like the sense of spirituality is missing because I don't know if I'm a religious being, but I do think there's a sense of spirituality that's li- missing from my life. Even though I do try to say prayers, we say a prayer every night before dinner and I try to meditate, but I think it's finding what works for you in whatever time in, your li- in life you're in.
2: I miss uh, it. I feel like do? it's missing. Yeah, I think about it a lot. I just, I just don't know where to start. Like, I don't know how to find a church that would kind of work for me. I, I and I also don't know like what my beliefs would even be to find a church that would be in line with those as far as like religion would. Like from like an organized religion standpoint, as I'm fumbling over my words now, that's how unsure I am of it all. But I miss the sense of community and I miss the ritual of the Sunday mornings and and seeing the same people. And, you know, and I miss um the feeling, you know, I have like found prayer a little bit more in the last year of my life where it's kind of snuck up on me and I've found myself praying more than I have in a really long time. Mm. But, um, I haven't, I've been kind of like chicken to, to like, you know, take the next step into finding a church to and, dip and your toes in <laughs> to dip my toes in. But that's why I was so excited to have this conversation today. Guys, we have Nadia Bowles joining us. She is a Lutheran pastor and the founder of house for all sinners and saints in Denver, Colorado. She's also a three time New York times, best selling author. She has a podcast called the confessional where guests are invited to share stories about times. They were at their worst talking honestly, honestly, about what led them to that moment, what they learned from it, and how they changed as a result. You can find her books everywhere that books are sold. Her most recent book is Shameless, A Sexual Reformation. Without further ado, let's jump into our conversation with Nadia Bowles-Weber.
1: And we are here with Natalie... (laughs) And we are here. How about I butcher your name as we start this podcast? How does that sound?
4: It's very welcoming. Yeah, it's very 2020,
1: right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Nadia Weber. we are so excited that you are sitting with us um, and having a discussion about religion. It's not something we've talked about a lot on this podcast, and we think you are the perfect person to discuss it with. Um, how has 2020 been for you? And how has prayer been for you in 2020?
4: um yeah it's interesting I mean my like a lot of people my life has changed a lot (laughs) and um in 2019 I was I was on 90 airplanes in seven countries uh like so and in 2020 I'm in my apartment so I (laughs) uh my life has just shifted a lot and um And the prayer thing is interesting because I ended up, I started publishing prayers on Sundays. I don't know when it was, maybe in in March or April when it started. And it ended up becoming a regular practice. And so uh, I get up on Sunday mornings and I check in with my honest, my most honest, true self. And I think what, what is a genuine expression out of me towards God right now? Like, so I'm not—they aren't very pious prayers, you know. They aren't like through Jesus Christ, my <laughs> Lord, Amen. You know, they aren't like—they're <laughs> kind of cranky. They're honest. They're desperate. They're sometimes sweary. They're, you know, I, and um, and I when I first started putting these out there on Sundays. People just were like, oh, you you basically crawled inside my brain and said exactly what I'm feeling right now. And so for some reason, it feels like honesty and religion has just seldom been paired together. <laughs> and I think, <laughs> and I don't know. It's not like some mysterious combination of things that might work, but I have found in my work that people end up being drawn to it that like, I don't know how much people are turned off by religion. I think people are turned off by the bullshit of religion.
2: Yeah. It's interesting. So before we sat down with you, we were all, um, Kayla, Melissa and myself were talking about our own experiences of growing up in, you know, various churches and, and then also translating that into adulthood and what our practices are now, which are very different than, you know, what our parents were kind of leading us towards when we were younger. Um, Well, tell me,
4: tell me what that is. I mean, that's the question I always end up asking people if they don't volunteer it, which they (laughs) often do, which is like, (laughs) what were you raised in? And what are, what do you consider yourself now?
2: I was raised Presbyterian. Um, and, and we went to church every Sunday. I did Sunday school. I was in like the church band. Um, and then, uh, of through high school, I just felt that I would, I just remember this very pivotal moment. It's very funny. It's so specific, but I remember going to Sunday school as a teenager and everyone was commenting on like what women were wearing. Like it was Uh, all about this skirt. It was because someone's skirt was really short and like how women should dress to be perceived in like a Christ-like way. And I just remembered thinking that that was so crazy. And I said, well, that I don't think a, a girl wearing like a short skirt means that, you know, that that's something bad about her. You know, I think in my like right. 14 or 15 year old terminology, I was like, I don't think that means she's like a skank or whatever, you know, right. <laughs> but, like, right. but I just remember <laughs> feeling like the whole room looked at me like I had spoken this terrible thing. And right. I just realized like, Oh, like I guess this isn't in line with what, I think. And, and it kind of made me start to pull away a little bit. Right. And in in adulthood, I never really found my way back to a church minus like, you know, maybe on a Christmas Eve um, going and singing Silent Night and like crying and like loving those moments. But (laughs) of course,
4: of course, you'd Um, be a monster if you didn't like those moments. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) right. It's so true.
1: Um, My story is really interesting because my dad grew up Mormon. My grandparents were Mormon or I say were because they've now passed, but they believed that we would Mm -hmm. not be on the same planet as them in the afterlife. Um. So that wow. was really an interesting concept because I love my grandparents and I think they're fascinating and they loved us. But that was the one thing that was always sort of not talked about ever. My dad has left the Mormon church. My parents are now, I grew up in a non-denominational Christian church, you know, one of those big band churches that yeah. I, the backup singers were also on American Idol. Um, and I'm from Orange County. So that was, you know, it was very much that, that idea of this like big band church and um, a lot of money within the church kind of idea. Um, and so I have since found my way and I would say I consider myself a more spiritual being, I still pray and I still meditate, but I don't necessarily practice within a church.
4: Right. Yeah yeah uh, that's so crazy about like your grandparents i i i i right. i'm so i'm really fascinated by the way belief functions in our lives and um because I just finished watching. I, I just finished listening to season six of a Canadian, a CBC podcast, Canadian broadcast podcast, mm-hmm. called Uncover, and it was about the whole satanic panic craziness in the early '90s, where mm-hmm. everyone was convinced that there were satanic cults who were that uh, that who were um, sexually abusing children. So this whole like satanic ritual abuse was a huge. Uh, moral panic that went on. It it was mass hysteria, and there was no evidence of it at all. But it didn't matter because people believed it, you know? And, And we have a lot of that in our culture now too, things for which there's absolutely no proof, no evidence at all, but it doesn't matter because people believe it to be true. Like your grandparents believed they would be on another planet than you, even though there's no evidence, there's nothing about you that, I mean, do you know what I mean? Like, no, I
1: do know what you mean. And it's, I mean, truly my grandpa was one of my favorite people in my life. And it was very, it was kind of an inner struggle. And I'm sure if I felt that way, my dad must've felt that way too. 100%. Yeah.
4: Yeah.
2: Yeah. And you, you grew up, Nadia, even in, in within an evangelical uh sect, church church uh, essentially yeah,
4: no evangelicals are different yeah it's okay. more like more fundamentalist um so it was very sectarian so i mean we believed that you know I, we were taught that we were the only real christians we were the only people going to heaven you know they'd be like, is your new friend Susie Christian? And I'd have to be like, no, she's Baptist. You know, like we were the only Christians, <laughs> right? Uh, and then lots of stuff around gender too. You know, women weren't allowed to preach or be ushers or be elders or teach Sunday school after kids were 12. You know, if, I mean, it was, yeah, women were relegated to, you know, the, making sure the potluck, you know, happened.
2: Basically, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which we all love a good potluck, but women are also <laughs> yes. much more capable <laughs> of more than just um, popping things in the oven. <clears throat> um, you obviously, you know, you've talked openly about the f- of different of your journey and experience, whether with your teen years and in your twenties, and and. But I'm so interested to hear from your perspective of how you found your way back to a church. Um, if you could kind of share with our listeners a little bit about your experience of, um, kind of growing up and finding yourself within that period of time.
4: Yeah. I mean, I kind of, I basically found myself my way back to church sanctuaries via the basement. So it was because I went to AA, you know, because I spent so much time in church basements, um, desperate to, to not be, um, you know, such a miserable drunk that, um, I eventually started listening to people when they said, hey, you know, having a power that's greater than you and being able to access that is your only hope, you know, and praying every morning and asking your higher power to keep you sober and praying at night thanking them, like just super basic, you know, a lot of sort of theological non-specificity to it. but um, But it allowed me to feel more comfortable with talk about God and with prayer and things like that and um and I ended up meeting who's a man who's uh, now my ex husband but um, he was a Lutheran seminary student and i I was a little I was quite an activist when I was in my teens and twenties and um, and I never heard the church I grew up in say anything about about the poor about racism about anything like that. It was all just being good enough. So, you know, so that you can bide your time on earth to get your mansion in heaven type of thing. And so no, no concern about substandard housing around the corner, because you were just concerned about your mansion in heaven. And so um, when I met uh, Matthew, he was, he's like, oh, I, I'm really interested in social justice, but my heart for social justice is rooted in my Christian faith. And I'm like, what? I'm like, what are you like some unicorn, like a combination of creatures that doesn't exist in reality. (laughs) I never heard of that in my life. And so he introduced me to um, the Lutheran church and and into like a social justice oriented church that ordained women and, and, you know, was more sacramental and liturgical. And I, I just felt really drawn to it, mainly because it gave me language for what i'd already experienced to be true in my life because i feel like what you were talking about where the all of a sudden you're in church and the subject that everyone's talking about that's so important is the length of a girl's skirt and you're like that doesn't feel right to me like mm-hmm. in my experience that doesn't matter and so a lot of us if we're taught to believe certain things and then we go out into the world and we have experiences that then contradict what we were told to believe, what do we do? Are we going to believe what we experienced to be true? Or are we going to believe what we were taught to believe? You know what I mean? And that that conflict. And so when I encountered the Lutheran church, it was the opposite. It was like stumbling into an art, a beautiful articulation of what I'd already experienced to be true. Uh, things like we're all simultaneously sinner and saint, 100% of both all the time. Like Lutherans are are all about paradox instead of like certainty and, and dualistic thinking. And so I thought, well, that explains a lot. Like everyone is, is both like has this capacity for good and a capacity for harm. Everybody. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's, that's how I sort of came back. Um, it was on my own terms, you know
1: this is just coming to my mind because you're speaking of duality and you know, you, you have talked before about how sexuality is always, always seems to be at odds with spirituality. And that really rang true for me when I read that. And I don't think I realized how much that still seeps its way into my life. Totally, and, and it's something that I think if you're, if you grow up and it's kind of ingrained in your head, you can't always get it out of your head. Um, I don't, I, yeah, I guess, sorry. I'm literally just speaking off the cuff about this because it just came to my head, but. um, That's right. I'm wondering if you have any advice on that because (laughs) as a 35 year old woman, I'm still struggling with it. Yeah,
4: I, that, my, my last book was 100% about that. I mean, it was, um, what happened was, um, you know, after my divorce, I was in this really sort of sexless marriage where that whole part of me was shut down and then when I got divorced and I got together with uh, my boyfriend, all of that stuff was like ignited again. And it felt like an exfoliation of my whole spirit to like have really great sex. <laughs> and and like I needed it and it was good for my heart and it was good for my mood and my body and everything. And and yet, even in my liberal denomination, I had to sign something when I was ordained that said I'd be Faithful in marriage or celibate in singleness. And I'm like, hold on, like, why? How is it better for my congregation if I'm not getting laid? That's not better for them. I was better at my job when I had that, you know? And so I was in London because I was after Eric and I got together for a few weeks. I had to go support the UK and the German edition of my last book. And so I was on the road for three weeks and all this was swirling around. And I'm like walking through London and I text him. I'm like, can you hop on like FaceTime right now? And he's like, okay. And I said, what? And he's a heathen. He's not Christian. And he, I, I go, why do you think the church has tried to control sex for so long? And without skipping a beat, he goes, oh, I just assumed that the church saw sex as its competition. And I was like, oh, I'm writing a book.
0: I was supposed to
4: be writing a different book. And I was like, oh, shit, I'm going to write a book. Like, that's what it was about. Yeah. So I spent a year and a half interviewing people and saying, what message did you receive from the church about sex and the body and gender Mm -hmm. and pleasure? And like, how did that message affect you? And then how have you navigated your adult life? And a lot of those stories are in the book.
2: And because it is interesting that when you attach shame to sex and when you, uh, you know, obviously, you know, you, you want to be having sex for your own personal reasons and you, you know, consent. There's so many like positive things and, you you know, you have to take care of your soul and yourself and, and, you know, figure out your own boundaries, but there Mm -hmm. is, it's, it is interesting as an adult when you realize, you know, to what you were saying, Kayla, this idea of there were already these decided, you know, boundaries on what sex meant, and especially as a woman, what your right. sexuality meant, yeah. it kind of put in place by men <laughs> before you'd even gotten to a place to decide what they mm-hmm. were for yourself. Oh yeah, and, and that's what I love about a lot of what you talk about, not only in your book, um, Shameless, asexual. Ref- reformation, but also in your, in your teachings and in your talks, mm-hmm. when you are speaking um, to, you know, whether it be congregations or just speaking with, um, it, I mean, assuming Zoom and this year, everything's on Zoom now. <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah.
2: Um, but okay, I wanted to talk a little bit about the fact that you would go on to start your own um, church, essentially the house for all sinners and saints in Denver and yeah. Colorado, especially mm-hmm. having grown up where you were just talking about how women were not pastors. They, right. you know, weren't even teaching Sunday school after a certain age, which is wild to me. Um, right. w- w- what inspired you to make that choice? What, what was, did you have an aha moment oh, or a,
4: yeah, it mostly cause I'm Profoundly unemployable I, like if i if i didn't like <laughs> if i didn't like create jobs for myself <laughs> like they I just wouldn't work because uh I just can't i don't fit well into already established things I'm an entrepreneur so um but part of it part of it the reason I started a church is because. I had to kind of start a church I'd be willing to show up to. Like, I don't feel that comfortable in regular churches. Even now, even though they'll pay me thousands of dollars to come and speak at their lecture series, it still isn't the most comfortable thing in the world for me to be in a church. Um, There's a whole culture to it that I'm not that comfortable in. Uh, And so I was like, what if you took the best parts of it and stripped all the other shit away? And, and, and you started it from scratch with eight people, four of whom were queer, you know, (laughs) and, uh, and you, it was just like DIY church, you know, we, we just, we created it from scratch and it had a DIY vibe to it. It still does. I mean, it's still going on, but.
1: Well, and um, it's so interesting because you talk about how you needed to create a space that you would belong, but clearly so many other people felt that way, because I know yeah. it started as a, around four people in your living room yeah. or at some, right. and then at some point grew to over 600 people. So there are so many people out there that feel the same way. Yeah. Um, now it's such a great name house. <laughs> it's, it's like incredible. So what, um, what, what, what how did you name it that? And what, how did you create the philosophy that surrounds house?
4: Um, <clears throat> so the acronym is half-ass. <laughs> so we, <laughs> so we, we're always like, all right, half-ass Bible study Tuesday. People are like, yeah, I'm down. I'll go to that. Yeah. Um, well, because I wanted it to be obvious what the vibe was just from the name, you know? like that was important to me. I wanted, I wanted like the, I wanted, if people went to the website, they'd get what the vibe was right away, you know, and, and the church always had like a particular like sense of humor to it. Mm -hmm. Um, we did, we do things like the blessing of the bicycles because so many people bike and, uh, we'd have, um, we had a thurible, which is that metal swingy thing with the burning incense. We had a thurible made out of bike parts and we would like sense the bikes. And then we do holy water aspersion with like the ends of the things on girls handlebars, you know, those tassel okay. things we we'd like do holy water. <laughs> and then we'd have a keg of fat tire beer and a red velvet cake. And I mean, we just, You know, we do beer and hymns in the basement of a bar. On Thanksgiving, we realized, you know, soup kitchens are covered, but a lot of people have to work on Thanksgiving and we never think about them. So we did this thing called Operation Turkey Sandwich, where we would make these Thanksgiving sack lunches with like fresh roasted turkey sandwiches. People would roast turkeys and stuffing muffins and pumpkin pie bars. And then we put a sticker on them that says, it sucks, you have to work on Thanksgiving. Um, (laughs) Operation Turkey Sandwich, brought to you by House for All Sinners and Saints. And we go all over the town. We'd we'd hand out like 1,500 of these things to bus drivers and cops and nurses. And the best is one year that we went to the adult bookstore on Colfax. You know, there's like one lonely guy working there. (laughs) And we're like... Here, here! We brought you Thanksgiving lunch. He goes, your church brought me like Thanksgiving lunch here, and we're like, yeah, sucks you have to work. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> I mean, like, if that's what church was, I think probably just more people would be like, yeah, I'd show up.
2: We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back in just a minute.
0: Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com.
4: Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore.
3: and Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host.
5: It's time to get more in 2024. I know for me, one of my goals is to feel really strong this year. And honestly, so far so good
2: We're back. Do you have a lot of people that say that they've stopped going to church because of something that happened when they were younger, or they they just like have you had a lot of people maybe come that, that have feel that they're still in adulthood who are like looking for that sense of community of church or that sense of um, comfort from a higher power of faith? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, yeah, where it's just they've been away from it for a long time. Yeah,
4: because a lot of people, there There are all these unnecessary barriers to accessing religious community that arbitrarily were set up. You know, you have to, you know, don't say any swear words. Don't talk mm-hmm. about, you know, your dark past. Um, don't be sarcastic. Don't wear certain clothes. Don't use certain kinds of humor. Don't, be, I mean, do you know what I mean? Like, it's just, yeah. don't be a certain sexual orientation or <clears throat> don't be too loud if you're a girl. I mean, a million barriers. There's no reason for those. And so I think a lot of people wanted access to spiritual community that didn't have all those barriers. and Or even a barrier being, you have to intellectually assent to certain theological propositions or you don't belong. So we never even had belief as a basis of belonging in the community. People in that church believed all sorts of shit. You're going to have to like, trust me on that. One, one of my one of my parishioners was like, I just finished my shaman training. I'm like, oh, I'm so glad. I have no idea what that means, but like, <laughs> I'm super glad for you. you know?
2: <laughs> Do you get a lot of pushback from um, other people People within or maybe like older generations then that say like you, that's a that's taking something that is sacred and um in tradition and or against the bible or uh-huh. you know you have to believe it all or mm-hmm. you, you then you're not a believer
4: sure well like on our website it would say like are, is everyone lutheran at your church and the in the q a and the and, or the uh, FAQ. And, one, and the answer was, Pastor Nadia is Lutheran enough for all of us. So there's this, <laughs> like, I, I happen to be a really Orthodox Lutheran theologian myself. And so one of the fascinating things is, like, in the liturgy and in the preaching, we didn't like it, it wasn't like crypto-unitarianism. We weren't watering it down. We we just held everything lightly enough to where we're like, hey, if you want to pick it up, pick it up. If it's not for you, we're glad you're here anyway. <clears throat> and so I would talk about sin, like, but I would redefine it. Like, mm-hmm. I always think it's more powerful to repurpose and redefine things rather than to just simply reject them. So I for me, there's really potent language in Christianity that I thought, I'm not going to relinquish this to people who only use it to harm other people, or to justify their dominance over another group of people. I'm going to actually use it for, for purpose of liberation. So if I talked about sin, for instance, I would use Francis Bufford's definition, which is the human propensity to fuck things up. That's such a perfect definition we all have that we all you know what i mean there's there's some reason that the system keeps throwing up errors you know in the human like we we just all make mistakes we all miss the mark and so um use like redefining things that people people found that compelling i think um also in my like in my preaching i would um i'm very uh Honest about myself, my own struggles, and my preaching. So I didn't ever preach down from a place that I felt elevated above other people. And my congregation were like, "God, we love that we have a pastor who's clearly just preaching to herself and letting us overhear it." It's a very different form of spiritual leadership. I mean, it's the same with the prayers I publish now. You know, I talk about my own struggles and not not being able to have as much compassion for people as I wish I. Could could or being angrier than I wish I was or whatever it is. And people find that a little more inviting than just being told uh, that they're bad. And like, here's the problem with you and what you should be doing about it.
1: Right. There's this general Mm -hmm. sense of authenticity surrounding all of this and really Mm -hmm. owning who you are. And that's so refreshing because it does seem like in certain religions and in the quote unquote church environment that it's people would just like you to conform and to solely be like what they think you should be so um how did you find that authenticity and that ownership of just knowing truly who you were and then developing everything around it
4: i don't know i think that's never been my struggle i mean sometimes women will be like how did you find your voice i'm like oh yeah well um Shutting the fuck up has been much more my problem in than life than fighting my voice. <laughs> so <clears throat> I think my lessons have been more around knowing when to tone it down. You know? Mm-hmm. I think I put something on Twitter the other day. I was like, hasn't hasn't it always been about knowing when and when not to mute yourself? <laughs> you know? <laughs> so I think a lot of my struggle has been in no in being aware enough to pull back when I need to, rather than being aware enough to, to sort of, you know, pursue something when I need to.
2: Do you feel that, or I'll just speak for myself. Um, I feel that often sometimes because I've had such a disattachment to going to church or, you know, any sort of organized religion, um or just religion in general really yeah that oftentimes an element that gets kind of roped in with that within that is the politic like the fact that religion can be politicized in a way yeah and yeah. um especially with a lot of social issues and right and how do you how when you when you have talked to a congregation or or spoken to other people if that comes up what do you say you know when how do you separate that when all of a sudden religion and politics and are so kind of formed together and intertwined especially it feels
4: like right now well this is exactly the reason I don't leave there I mean there's a there is a reason that I don't like relinquish the whole thing to the people To those people. (laughs) Because I think that, because kind of like I was saying earlier, I think that theology and liturgy and scripture is way too potent to be left in the hands of those who only use them to justify their dominance over another group of people. And so um, I think that it's so potent that it can be used for the purpose of freedom and liberation rather than for the purpose of justifying dominance, which. So I refuse to leave because I'm just too stubborn. I'm not, I, I, mean, I mean, I'm not going to let them have it. And so even, you know, I tweeted to NPR the other day. They did this story about, you know, the faith vote. And I'm like, do you know how many, like, moderate and progressive Politically moderate and politically progressive people are people of faith. They're never reported on. And there are millions of us. And it's just not as interesting a story as evangelicals. And so it's something the media um, rarely covers, which I think is a problem. One exception is um, Eliza Griswold at The New Yorker. She's written a lot of profiles about more progressive religious leaders in the last few years, which I'm really grateful for.
1: Right. I think she did a really great profile on you, correct?
4: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, her, what a lot of people don't know, her father was the presiding bishop of the Episcopal Church. Wow. Yeah. He, he's the one who ordained Gene uh, Robinson, the first gay bishop. Remember that was there? And he had to do it with a bulletproof vest on. Yeah. So she comes by her interest and her knowledge of this, that this part of our society, honestly.
1: <laughs> wow. I mean, you have such a refreshing take on so many different things. Um, I know that so many people have viewed your video on forgiveness, but for those listening that haven't yet seen it, can you share your perspective on it um, so that yeah. they can also hear?
4: Yeah, I, it, it really came, it came out of, that teaching came out of a chapter from my first memoir where I was talking about the 10 year anniversary of nine 11 and how um, in, in a lot of churches, you have a thing called the lectionary where you have a set of assigned texts for every Sunday. Like, so churches all over are preaching on the same text, and the the texts that were assigned for that day, the 10 year anniversary of nine 11, were all about forgiveness. And I thought that's ham fisted of them, but the lectionary was established years before 9/11 happened it was just happenstance anyway uh, wow. so i was struggling with i don't think i'm ready to like f- forgive like it was such a massive assault on our country and uh, on our sense of security and everything changed and i was like fuck that they don't deserve my forgiveness and <clears throat> and so it came from my own struggle but what i realized is that a lot of times when we when we're reluctant to forgive it's because it feels perilously close to saying that whatever this person did was okay and i don't it feels like a betrayal of the part of myself that was hurt for me to imply like somehow it's okay but i but i don't think that's what it is i think that what forgiveness actually is is saying to that person or that institution or whatever, what you did to me is so not okay that I refuse to be tied to it anymore. And because when if we don't forgive, it's like we're still connected to that harm. And we are in danger of that toxic shit metastasizing inside our own heart, because we're still connected to it. So to me, forgiveness is like bolt cutters and being like, I'm going to free myself from your bullshit from the harm you have done to me, as an act of freedom for myself. And not it has nothing to do with your deserving, it has to do with my deserving. And so I'm in it for the freedom and like free people when you're around somebody who's truly like a free person, um, you can feel it in your body and in your spirit. You're you're more relaxed and able to be funny and spontaneous and to, you know, speak truth to bullshit and all of those things. So I just, I, I think it, for me, forgiveness is about being a freedom fighter. It's not about being a pansy who's like, oh, no, it's okay that you hurt me it's like saying oh no it's so not okay i'm taking the power back and i'm disconnecting from it
2: beautiful uh, and i love that there's an element of that that comes in uh through your podcast the confessional where you, you have guests on to talk about um their experiences when they were maybe at their worst or choices that they've held on to for a long time and having yes. to find their own forgiveness of themselves Um, when did you decide to start this podcast and what was (laughs) Um, what was the inspiration for that
4: well I've been dreaming it up for a while before I actually found the right partners for it Um, it wasn't until I partnered with PRX and the moth that I knew okay I'm going to do this for real and the reason I wanted to do it is like, look, there's lots of places that you can hear about people's accomplishments and like hear about them talk about their latest project or be dazzled by their virtues or whatever and like you know there's like a million opportunities, but when I meet someone i I'm always like, "Oh man, how long do I have to wait till I hear something horrible about them <laughs> because that's, there's no there's there's no faster way to stoke a feeling of affection in me towards you. And (laughs) except for like telling me something horrible about yourself, then suddenly I'm like, Oh, I I really like you now. So it's a twisted part of me. But um, I'm obsessed with mistakes that we've made or things we're not proud of. um, Or, you know, what, what happened in our worst moments, because those things often end up being like the origin story of who we became, you know, like, and, and I think we need to honor those moments instead of pretend they didn't exist. Mm -hmm. And I, I, so many of us are alone in our feelings of shame about the shit we've done. And so the purpose of the podcast is to like, either, have a moment where you're hearing someone talk about, you know, confess something and you're like, oh my gosh, I've done that too. And you feel less alone and maybe you, you feel more compassion for yourself. Or you hear a bigger story around somebody's confession that normally you would only have judgment for them. If, if all you knew about them was what they did and you found out about it in 160 characters on Twitter, you'd be like, Cancel them, you know, (laughs) know, take them out like trash. But to to allow someone's story to breathe a little, to hear about what led to it, to hear about their own wounds or the societal stuff or whatever, and then to hear what came after it, I think is powerful. Like Mm. and and then I write a blessing for these people at the end too. And so it's really taking an aspect of Christianity, which is confession and absolution, turning it around just slightly a few degrees to where it's like admission and benediction and, and, and saying, Hey, this is for everyone. I basically, this is what my friend Kerlin (laughs) says. I basically have made a career out of like metaphorically sneaking into the cathedral, looking around for the most valuable, beautiful things absconding with them, putting them in the front yard and slapping a free sign on them, you know? (laughs) Because i think, look, you might not believe the same things I do about Jesus, but like some of the teachings are going to help you, you know? So everybody should have access to them or some of the practices could help. Everyone should have access. What are some of the teachings
2: of Jesus Mm -hmm. that would help them when it pertains specifically to cancel culture? Because everyone, you know, I feel like Mm -hmm. that's been a uh, subject that's been talked about a lot in the last couple of mm-hmm. years. What is your take on cancel culture?
4: Well, there's this beautiful part in the Hebrew Bible that says, God says, I, devire, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And the thing about uh, mercy and grace is that um, I think it's like the origin of the universe. Like, I, think it's, I think it's the magic that everything comes from. And it's the most offensive thing to humans. Like, we don't like it if something's not fair, right? So Mm -hmm. basically, if you get a pass after making a mistake, or it's not counted against you in some way, or it's not determining of your value, that feels like, first of all, it feels like the most beautiful, liberating, delicious thing in the world if it's for us. But if it's for someone else, you're like, fuck that. They don't deserve it. (laughs) So like grace is offensive. And yet it's where the most freedom lies for us. And, and that's hard because basically if grace is true for me, it's also true for everyone who's ever hurt me. And now Mm -hmm. it's less of a, cozy idea. That's why I'm like, Oh my God, with my luck, I'm going to be seated at the heavenly banquet between like, Anne Coulter and a racist cop. (laughs) But if if you believe what I believe, that's the logical extension.
1: Right, right. (laughs) Well, okay, we can't um, end this without asking and talking about 2018 for you, because that was quite a year when you had called women to send their purity rings to be (laughs) melted down into a vagina sculpture i have to ask about it um Uh, was this an impromptu thing or did you sort of have this planned
4: see here's the thing again so much of what i teach and what i say and what i do has its roots in scripture, in Bible stories, in theology, in a way that people might not realize. And there's this image uh, that comes up a couple of times in the Hebrew scriptures that uh, that talks about, and it's written on the statue outside the UN, that we will beat our, plow, our, our swords into plowshares and our spears into pruning hooks. Meaning that uh, one of the most redemptive things we can do is to repurpose that which was meant to harm us, and in this spiritual alchemy, say no, we're going to use it to heal ourselves. Right, and so, um, so when I was doing the interviews for Shameless, and all these women were talking about the purity rings, uh, I was like oh my God, I, I want to do something with those. And so I just had people mail them in and I had them melted into a sculpture of a vagina. <laughs> and then I gave it to Gloria Steinem on stage at a feminist <laughs> conference. But, um, but it was to say, we can take that which harmed us and we can take the power and say, we're going we're gonna to repurpose this into something that gives us pleasure or whimsy or whatever, it, or healing that's, that's a biblical thing
2: to do, you know? I love that. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. And, um, everyone, you guys can listen to the confessional, wherever you listen to podcasts, where can our listeners find you if they want to follow you on social media or read some of your Sunday blessings?
4: Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm on, um, Instagram. You can look for Nadia Boltzweber or I'm a, sarcastic lutheran is my is my tag
1: (laughs) i saw that i love it (laughs) on everything
4: so um i'm pretty easy to find yeah and i also have a publication on substack where i post all my writings a couple times a week so yeah wow well
1: thank you for having this conversation with us because um it's not one that we have often and we're really really grateful to have sat down with you it's fascinating stuff Yeah, truly.
4: My pleasure. Thanks Thanks for having me. Appreciate
1: it. You know, after talking to Nadia for so long, I feel like I could definitely step into her confessional because she just, there's something about her that's so disarming and um, just, she's just so real and raw when talking about religion. And I have not experienced that in a really long time.
2: Yeah. It's nice to have a conversation about religion, and religious practice where in which the word shame is like removed from it and that's not kind of like the the clouds hanging above everything it's like that's that's something that you're it you know you can approach your own feelings about the choices that you've made in life or thing and look back i mean even i am so glad that you asked about her um sermon on forgiveness and her walking us through that um you know and just you know kind of the bolt cutters of, of, of letting go what you don't need to carry anymore and how that can also be attributed to shame as well, which in, in other instances I've experienced, um, you know, with religion, the the idea that like shame is actually something you need to carry on you. Mm. Mm -hmm. And maybe I've just read the wrong things or had the wrong teaching. So I don't want anyone to think that that's like the blanket statement of all religions. Um, That's just personal experience. Right. And I think that everyone
1: has a different relationship and different personal experiences when it comes to religion. And it's all us trying to find our way. Even now, you and I, Candice, are talking about how we're 35, 34, 33. How old are you? I think you're 33. I don't know, however old you are I'm like, 12 <laughs> no 12 yes however old you are I'm 22 like, basically mid-30s and we still um are searching for some sort of you know spirituality religion whatever you call it and um finding ourselves within that and you're right there is a part of
2: it missing so it'll be interesting to see how it manifests into our lives Absolutely. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us. We'll have an all new episode of Directionally Challenged waiting for you next week. Directionally Challenged is a production of Pineapple Productions. Producer Melissa Demonts, edited by Katrina Henning, post-production sound by Chris Henry, music by Joe King, and advertising partnership with Acast.
0: Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com.
1: Moonpig.com
0: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods